Good morning, Hillside. Why don't we come on in, stand up. Let's worship the Lord together. Sing, I have this confidence. I have this confidence because I've seen the faithfulness of God still inside the storm the promise of the shore I trust the power of your word enough to seek your kingdom first beyond the barren place beyond the ocean waves when I walk through the waters I won't be you make you isn't one that is delayed so I will not lose heart here I will lift my arms and start to sing into the night my praise will call the sun to rise
tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken I won't be shaken Cause my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Oh, we stand in your love, Jesus. Shame no longer. Shame no longer has a place to hide And I am not a captive to the lies I'm not afraid to leave my past behind I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken Oh, and my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Oh, we stand, we stand in your love. There's power. There's power that can break off every chain There's power that can empty out a grave There's resurrection power that can save There's power in your name, Jesus Power in your name There's power, there's power that can break off every chain there's power that can empty out a grave There's resurrection power that can save There's power in your name There's power in your name My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love my fear doesn't stand a chance when i stand in your love 
fear doesn't stand a chance My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love We stand in your love, Jesus We stand in your love In the name of Jesus We stand In the name of Jesus We stand In your love, Jesus Resurrection power Resurrection power in this place. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. for our devotion this morning he said God we come to you with open hands and that just uh, just that posture even just thinking about the posture is just this this place of surrender but it's also a place of, of uh, just receiving what God has for us today so can we do that as we pray for this service together can we just open our hands and just and ask the Lord to come and have his way in us and through us. God, we just give you our lives. We give you this time today. God, we give you our family. We offer ourselves up to you personally, but God, we offer our body up to you, our church, our family that, that you've provided for us and, and that you have adopted us into. God, we ask that you would move in our hearts and through our hearts that you would have your way and that we would receive what you have for us. We would receive the truth. God, we would receive direction. We would uh, receive conviction. God, that we would receive peace, comfort, and healing. God, we offer ourselves up to you and ask that you would give us what you want. And God, help us to give you everything today. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. All right. Good morning, Hillside. Great to see you all here this morning. I just have a few announcements for you this morning. Um, one, youth group is meeting today, 4 o'clock this afternoon. So youth uh, here at the church, 4 o'clock. Um, we also have our men's and women's Bible studies back up and running on Saturday mornings. There is... 
detailed information in the weekly email, on the website, and in the weekly Bible app as well. And we have a new men's Bible study that started a couple weeks ago on Thursday mornings. Um, so it's just getting going. It meets at 6 a.m., correct? 6 a.m. every other Thursday. Um, and they are meeting this coming Thursday. So that'll be here at the church next door in the coffee shop. Also want to mention uh, the business meeting next Sunday right after the service. Um, Gus always talks about the church as an organism rather than an organization, which I think is a really healthy attitude. It is a family, like Mike just prayed. And, but that there are organizational aspects to it. We don't treat Hillside like a business, but there are business aspects to it. There are financial decisions we have to make. There are facility decisions we have to make. We have leadership for our ministries and such and missions. So we're going to be doing just an update about that next Sunday right after the service. We'll provide lunch. We'll have pizza and things like that. You can stick around. Um, members will be actually voting on the budget. So we'll actually present the budget. We'll kind of give an overview of 2023 uh, summary, and then we'll give an overview of what's coming in 2024 and show you the budget. We'll talk about missions opportunities, international and local. We'll talk about various ministries. And then we are going to give some updates about the building, the facility, and some things that we're envisioning and dreaming on that. So those typically run uh, maybe an hour-ish um, after the service, and we'll do it approximately 20 to 30 minutes after the service next Sunday. So feel free to stick around, especially if you just want to learn a little bit more about that aspect of the church, because that's the one time of the year where we kind of focus on those kind of things intentionally. Um, also, just a reminder... Uh, one of the things we'll talk about next week in the business meeting is just the incredible generosity of this church and God's amazing provision through all of you. It just continues to kind of blow our socks off, and we're so grateful for that. Um, most of you give online. That's kind of, we've kind of moved to that model now. COVID was part of that, but I think there was a tendency to do that anyway. Um, but most of you give online, and there are instructions for giving online in the weekly email in the virtual bulletin we have on the Bible app and on the website. So if you haven't figured that out yet, it's out there, or you can ask one of us, but you can do that um, through those links. And then if you'd like to give physically, whether that's cash or check, that's still great too. We have a box in the back, an actual physical box in the back that you can put in your tithes and offerings. But again, we just want to thank you for the generosity and just for, for listening to God as, as he encourages you to be obedient with this part of your lives. We don't talk about it much as a church. We don't do a stewardship Sunday every year. We just really pray about it and trust God, and he's been remarkably um, generous to us through the year. So thank you for being a part of that. We are going to go ahead and dismiss kids right now and youth group. So youth group can head next door to the coffee shop. Kids can head out to the lobby, and we'll get you in Sunday school. And the rest of you can uh, just say hi to one another for a couple minutes.
and others. It talks about the gospel being justified by faith and not by works. The process of dealing with our sin and our guilt before God. Sanctification and our eternal security. The book of Romans tells us about who God is. Um, what he's done, what he's doing. It tells us about Jesus, what his death accomplished. It tells us a lot about ourselves. What we're like without Jesus and then who we become once we start trusting Christ. Paul points out, and this is important for this, for this morning, that we ex have access to this not because of what we've done, but because of God's grace. Again, it is not based upon your works that brings salvation because all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And in God's sovereign choice, he has given us this opportunity to be made right, to be righteous before God. This is a book, I was reading this this week, and we brought this to your attention. If you're new here, if you just started attending, this is a great book for you to grab because Warren Wiersbe really walks through the entire chap chapter by chapter book of Romans, helping to really put into perspective what we're, what we're learning. And it's a good additional read. So if you don't have it, I encourage you to get it. Go on Amazon, find it, read with us as we go through. So going back to when we started, there are a couple different sections. There's really five main sections. There's an introduction section, and then there's a conclusion section. So we've gone through Romans 1, 1 through 17, where we kind of understand a little bit of why Paul's doing this, the context of what's going on, where it fits into the overall picture of the New Testament. And then section 1, we, we discover just what is sin, what truly is being unrighteous. So that whole dynamic of not being right with God and then finding a way through Christ to be made right. And this describes for us all, this is where we're all equal. We come to this place all being sinful, having done things that put us in a position of wrath against God because we're in essence making decisions that show us to be his enemy in our heart and mind because we're not wanting to do his stuff. But then somewhere along the way, we find this next section, salvation. We're, we're now justified not by works, but by faith because of what Christ has done. He has come into this world. And this is also really important because this is part of the promise that we're going to talk about today. We then go into this section of sanctification. Like once you become justified, you now are in a position where you're, you're saved. You're going to heaven. Like we talked about, a meteor comes out of the sky, hits you. You know where you're going. But there's this this time between where you become justified and where you find glorification, which is when you go to heaven, that's called the sanctifying. That's us working out our salvation, learning how to take some of the junk that we had prior, how to move through life in a non-sinful way, how to make sure we just continue to fear. What does it look like to be part of God's family and move in that way? And then the section that we're in now. This section is an interesting one, and we're going to unpack it over the next couple of weeks, which I think is just really important, and it talks about God's sovereignty. And then in there, it also talks about this rejection, which is a really strange thing to think about in our culture right now. Like, why would God and why would Jesus even consider rejecting anything or us, right? I mean, we hear a lot that Jesus is this God of love, and he loves us, and he does, but there's also this sovereign side that Jesus said, here is my plan. 
and this is the way I want it to look, and here are my expectations upon you. That's what we're going to talk about, the starting point of what that looks like. In the future, we'll hit the next section, which is us figuring out how to start putting all of this now into practice. So the closing part of that helps us to understand, okay, justification, sanctification, what does this sovereignty thing look like, and now how do we live this on a day-to-day basis? And then we hit the, just kind of the closing, the encouragement to us, the affirmation, and where Paul wants us to kind of seal this together. So for today, we're going to be in this section, Romans 9, 6 through 13. But before I read our, our scripture this morning, let's just bow our heads and pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you as I, as I read through this section, I thank you that you're a God that reveals the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, you tell stories about guys like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and um, just the uniqueness and their frailties, their strengths, and how you work through those things, God. It is powerful and encouraging for me to see. So, Father, I pray we would learn today. We would learn about your plan, your promise, and your salvation. Holy Spirit, I pray now that you would move in the hearts of everyone here, that you would open up their hearts to see and experience the challenge that they need to be challenged with this morning, but also the encouragement, the encouragement that says you are in control, God, and that you know us and you care. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we pick up in verse 6, chapter 9. It is not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descendants from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they all by Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told. The older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. All right, you ready for this? <laughs> this is an interesting, right? I mean, you go through this and you're like, I'm not really completely sure how this applies to me today. My hope is that we're going to unpack this in a way where you will very clearly understand why Paul is saying this. So the uniqueness is we've gone through this really encouraging, one of the, my most favorite chapters in the book, which is Romans 8. It talks about his salvation and how awesome and wonderful, and now he kind of feels like he's pivoting a little bit. But he's doing it because it's essential, because obviously there are questions within the church with, wait a second, you're telling me there's a different promise? Because we as Jews have always been going off of the fact that there was another promise, one that was spoken of long time ago, and we are going off of it. Has that changed? Because are you telling me right now that God's word was not right? Because this is what was said. What are you really talking about? That's kind of what's going on right now. And so Paul, he's going to address this. The first issue being, does God's word fail? He answers, 
No, it's not as though God's word's failing. But let me explain to you. And my hope in this church is that everyone here would continue to be more and more biblically literate. You would learn and understand, be able to walk through scripture and read a verse like this and go, okay, I don't totally understand this, but here's where I know I need to go. But hopefully today too, you're going to have a deeper understanding of what these promises were all the way back to Abraham, flowing through Moses and David and the prophets and judges and all of what's brought us to today, it's important for you to know how it is that we've got here. So, two sides to the word that's important for you to understand. There is the word as it comes through Jesus, and there is the word as it is the Bible, the word of God. So there's two sides of this. So when we look at John 1.1, 1, 1, we know that Jesus has come and he was the word. So all the way back, you look at all the words in the Pentateuch, in the Old Testament, through the prophets, that was God speaking through, and Jesus was part of the establishment of that, and all of that was true, but then he had to come and dwell amongst us, and when he did that, the word became flesh. And so as Jesus is moving through the world when he was alive, he spoke words, he gave prophecy, he, he talked about Old Testament and literature. He talked about what things were coming, and that was the word coming from Jesus. But then there's the other side of it where we find in Ephesians 6, where it talks about referring to the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit is the Bible. This is the inherent word of God that we have that has been given to us by God. And I know, and Gus talked about this, and he's just that, that process of which we receive it, people discount it because they say, well, that's just, that's men, men writing. That's human writing of Scripture. And in my world, the way I address that, and this is probably maybe a little too simple, but a God that can create dirt, water, air out of nothing, that can create this and this, can manage to put a few letters onto paper. So that's kind of the simple way of how I look at it, and may, maybe that's too dumbed down for you, but as I explore this, it really is that simple for me. If we're going to go through this and accept God's sovereignty, then we have to be assured that he's capable of communicating, and we see that as we tear through and we look at scripture. We know the unchanged nature of it. We've seen it even as of late where we've discovered old texts, and they've remained unchanged, and we look at other religions who can't in a hundred years keep their Bibles and literature the same. They're changing them all the time. We don't do that with the Bible. There are different interpretations, but the core is the same, unchanged. And so does God wor God's word fail? Well, no, it doesn't. And it doesn't fail as we see it through Jesus, and it doesn't fail as we read it through the scriptures. So the, the question today is, why is this significant to me? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. Because so many people in the world are making their own truth. It's very easy for people right now to look around and say things like, well, if I were God, I would do it that way. Or to scoff at the fact that the Bible could even be God's word, could be inerrant. They would like to make up excuses and reasons for it, not even when confronted with overwhelming evidence that it is the most historical and accurate document that exists. 
And if you don't believe that, I would love for you to challenge me. I mean, show me where it's not and show me where we find that that's not true. There is more proof that Jesus existed than Abraham Lincoln. And no one is going to question that Abraham Lincoln existed. I hope not. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Who thinks, you know. So knowing that there is more to prove about Christ than even some of our more recent historical figures, and yet many are abandoning this truth. Many are turning away and saying, that can't be true. Why would Jesus say that? Why would God say that? Around the function of the church, the ordinances of the church, the social aspects of the church, the, the dynamics of what God really said things ought to be, they would like to say, well, in my world, I would like it to look this way, so obviously God must not be right. And that is the same course of what Paul is trying to address right now with those the Jewish background who are saying, wait a second, are you telling me that the promise was wrong? So the next point, he talks about not all being part of the promise. And this is a tough one right here. Because for so long, so many of them thought that just because they were a descendant of Abraham, or they were part of Isaac and Jacob, that they were automatically, just by birthright, part of this promise. And what he's saying here is not all who are descendants of Israel are Israel. We're going to unpack that a little bit just in a second so you understand what that's talking about. Nor, because they are descendants of Abraham's children, are they part of this promise. So what does that mean right there? Well, there is this past, this present, and this future promise. The past promise was the Abrahamic covenant. The promise that was then given to Isaac and Jacob. This promise continued on through Moses. It was seen in Joshua, Judges, the prophets, and kings. This is the question now that Paul is trying to address. Are all of those promises now null and void because Christ has shown up? The answer is no. All past promises, they were relevant, and overall these promises showed the plan of where we're at today. The appointing direction, it was a rehearsal for us to be able to see how Christ was going to show up and be our Messiah. So in the midst of that, there are no promises that God does not keep. Why is that significant to us today? Another great question. The process means in this that there is a means towards salvation. There is a means towards righteousness. And that's what we've been talking about in Romans. Like, it's not like you got to wake up someday and go, like, I, I wonder how it is that I ought to be right before God. He's telling us. He's given us a very clear description of what does it look like to find righteousness with God. And it's not based upon you doing good things. <clears throat> it's not based upon someone coming in and saying, Elliot, boy, good week, good job. You have earned now the opportunity to be part of God's family. The weird part is that's how almost every other religion operates. If you look through all of them, they are trying to reach up and prove themselves to God. What God is saying, you can't. You just can't. And we're going to see that going all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And how that also pushes through to the promise that we're grabbing a hold of today. The relevance of this is because it deals with this whole section of not everyone from Israel are Israel. And not everyone that comes from Abrahamic lineage is part of the promise. And so for me, I look around. And I think there are a lot of people right now that probably come to church and think just by doing so, because of their presence physically here, they are automatically going to be welcomed into heaven. Or 
there are people that believe in a Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's a man-made, world-made, demonic kind of Jesus, which we would call the Antichrist. It is a Jesus does, that does not fall in line with what we read in Scripture. It falls in line with what we would like to make of Jesus, and we change the Jesus of the Bible and turn him into something else. So this is relevant, too, because just because people come to church doesn't mean you get that pass to go to heaven. you got to come here, and you got to understand the promise, and you got to understand what Paul's talking about, about being saved through faith in Jesus, not by works. And that's the same thing that Paul is addressing here with those who thought they were of Israel or being descendants of Abraham. So I think the biggest thing here, one of the application points, is just making sure you ask yourself that question. Am I following Jesus of the Bible? Am I showing up here just because it, it makes me feel good? Or am I here because this is the church? Not the church building, but this is Christ's church. And you are part of that body. He is the cornerstone, and we operate to impact this world for the gospel. Or are you just going through the motions? All right, I'm going to step out for a minute, because I feel like I've given you a lot. And sometimes at this point, you might be asking, I don't get what you're talking about when we start talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why is that significant? So you're, don't, don't laugh at this, okay? This is the best I could do. All right. <clears throat> And it actually looked way worse than this when I started going. I was like, this is like, I don't know, bubbles and lines threw up on the page. So the importance of this is God chose Abraham. Why? Because God wanted to. God chose Abraham because he was the one that he found to be righteous, that he was going to start and establish this journey that leads us today in this promise that God has for us through Jesus, right? And so bear in mind, there were a lot of other people in the world at this time. He did not choose them. He chose Abraham. And that's important because that's where this promise starts. Then God gives Abraham the promise that I'm going to multiply you and you are going to have a great nation through your son. And he's like, dude, I am so old. My wife is so old. How could this possibly happen? He said, trust me, this is how it's gonna happen. After a number of years went by, they were like, well, this isn't happening. And Sarah was like, this isn't happening. So they decided on their own accord. And this is why I love how God puts this stuff in there. Abraham didn't trust God in that. It wasn't because of his works. God still knew that he was going to defy him when he gave him this. So they go off and they get Hagar, one of Sarah's servants. And they end up having a son named Ishmael. Now, Ishmael had been around for 10 to 12 years before they even had their next son which would be Isaac. So, in the midst of this, they are struggling through, and God says, my original promise continues to ring true. I said in the beginning, you were going to have a son through your wife, Sarah. You chose to go this way. So this is the separation and point where we know, now know we have this process that's leading us to Jesus, but then Ishmael on the other side ends up forming this other group of people called Arabs. And all the way back to that time, when this happened, there was conflict between the Israel journey and the Arab journey, and we still see it today, and that's much of what's going on in Israel right now. So that's why, and it has been this way since this moment. Now, it is important to know that Ishmael did actually find reconciliation with Isaac, 
Ishmael actually attended Abraham's funeral. So there was some collaboration and some ownership and understanding that. But bear in mind, too, Ishmael was then kicked out of the house and went to live on his own. And that's where we see that separation. The next line in this is Isaac with Rebekah ends up having two sons, Jacob and Esau. They are the first twins recorded in Scripture. And it's unique because before they were born, God told them that the younger will rule the older. The older will be submissive to the younger. And so they're born, and this was told to them before either of them had done anything, right? So the, the father wasn't looking like, I just, you're my favorite and you're not. God was saying, this is how it's going to be. Again, his sovereignty speaks through. And in that, there was a lot of contempt, which is really interesting. Again, why I like how God puts this in there. You know what Jacob's name really means? Deceiver. You're like, okay, God's choosing the deceiver now to put all this under, but yet that was part of the process. And in that, Jacob deceives his brother Esau into handing over his birthright. So in both cases, the younger son gets the birthright, which never happens in this culture, and yet that is how God is orchestrating this. Now, these two didn't really get along throughout the whole time. And so there was this journey between the two of them that was just constantly this. So Esau gets sent out, and the reason there's a line there between Esau and Ishmael is Esau actually marries one of Ishmael's daughters. He has multiple sons, one daughter, they get married. And so you look at this whole progression of these different groups of people, we see that there's the Edomites, the Arabs, and the Israeli crew right here, and they're all working together. The Arabs continue to exist to this day, and not every Arab is, is Muslim. There are a lot of Christian Arabs. There are a lot of Palestinian Arabs or Arabs in the Middle East. And just because that is that group, it doesn't mean that they're all um, Muslim. And, and so that's just important to understand, which also points out the fact that not of all Israelites would be considered Israelites either. It is not just because that's who they are. And so eventually in Obadiah, we see that the Edomites were stomped out by Israel. And that takes us to why this is important. Are you tracking with me? I'm sorry, that's boring stuff right there. But I think it's important to kind of grasp why is it that we talk about this stuff this way? So, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is important with our text right now. So with this, in Genesis 12, we see the beginning of the promise that God gave to Abraham. It was the promise that says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. We are blessed now through that promise because it now leads us to what we see. And so the same promise was given to Isaac twice, and then the same promise was given to Jacob. We now understand that Jacob, being the deceiver, there was something that happened. He ends up finding himself in a battle with God. He gets struck in the hip. He then has his name changed, and he becomes Israel. So when we look at this whole Exodus 3, this is Moses, when God comes to Moses at the bush and says, I am, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see it in Acts when Peter starts talking about it, and he uses the same thing. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is important because that lineage leads us to Israel, which leads us to the path through David, which leads us right to Jesus. Does that make more sense now? 
a little bit. And so this is where we've come, and this is why it's important to see this Israel leading us to this point, because this is where the promises of Jesus has come. And so this, this road, everything that has been experienced to this point through all of Scripture <clears throat> is this road, this road pointing us right to the promise of Jesus. And so God's word had never been wrong. When we talk about the offspring of Abraham is going to benefit all of you, we now see that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob led this road which leads us straight to Jesus. And so in that, we've been studying, this is old, this is like back in, in my 1980s day. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Romans Road. Patrick, you've heard of it, right? All right. I'm not saying this, is, but this is a good understanding of the promise that we have. And since we are in the book of Romans, this is really relevant to us. This Romans road says that for all are sinners by nature and choice. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I think that's the starting point. Because if you look at the choices that God made in that lineage, every one of them made mistakes. Every one of them did things wrong. And God still chose them because of his sovereignty, <clears throat> his word and his plan, not based upon what they were doing. Now, if God was going to base salvation on any one of us, myself included, we're in trouble. So that's the difference here, is God is saying there is a path towards salvation. We understand this free gift. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, this unconditional love came in. So knowing all of what just the people in this room had done, are doing, and will do, he still chose to die for us in the same way that he had the promises for those of Abraham. And so this is just a great picture that leads us to this salvation through Jesus. When we call upon his name, he will answer. When we give our lives to follow and serve him, when we have true repentance in our lives, and I'm not talking about the kind of repentance where you go to bed at night and you're like, I shouldn't do those things anymore, and then the next day you do them again. I'm talking about life-changing behavior altering changes in your life. That is what repentance means. That you are going to now put Lord Jesus ahead of your life and he is going to be the one that directs every and all things that you do. Amen? So, using the Roman road, it shows us the similarities between what God did with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It shows us the progression to the promise that we have today. It also reveals to us how God has chose his plan outside of our works, but based upon his desires. Like He's like, I'm not basing this on you. I am going to come, and I'm going to offer salvation because I'm God, and this is how I'm going to do it. God's sovereignty. This is, I'm going to just reread this for you a little bit. It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So, through no other course, through no other action, offspring, being even us, will be reckoned based upon the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which leads us to Jesus. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children. So it's not just where you're born or what house you're in or what ethnicity you have or where you've come from, but it is the children of the promise. So those who choose to accept and believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior— are going to be now recognized as Abraham's offspring. By no other course will we or will they or anyone else be recognized as offsprings as part of that promise that was given all the way back in Genesis 12. 
So we're part also now of that promise because we believe in Jesus. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. So there was no one else. This was it. And the same is true today. There is no other course towards salvation. There is one. And not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by their father, father Isaac. Yet before the twins were even born or had done anything good or bad. So again, before we had done anything good to earn our salvation or not, God said, I am going to choose to die for you. That, that's going to be how this works. It's not going to be based upon you. And in this, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told. The older will serve the younger, just as it is, as it is written, Jacob I love and Esau I hated. And we'll unpack that last part in just a second, because why, why would he hate Esau, right? In this, we see this picture. I, I, I read this somewhere, and I apologize to whoever wrote it, but I had it in notes, and I can't remember where I, I grabbed this from. But this was good for me to read. It says, despite Jacob's questionable character. I think there's times that we all just feel like we got questionable character. Like, do I really deserve this? Do I really get to be part of this incredible epic story of God rolling out salvation to us? God had chosen him for divine, for divine blessing. The Lord confirmed to Jacob the same covenant promise he had given to Abraham and Isaac to make him into a great nation and bless all families of earth through him, including us. This calling was based on God's sovereign choice, not Jacob's merit. God later changed Jacob's name to Israel, representing a new identity and a new purpose, exactly what he's done to us. Before I was identified as an object of wrath, and now I'm identified as a child of God because of God's choice to allow me to be part of salvation. A purpose that was given to Jacob and us being his descendants. We would inherit the land of Canaan and God's people, the nation of Israel. The Lord accomplished his covenant plans through human perfection, not by his unconditional grace, but by his unconditional grace toward an undeserving people. So this, this to me just speaks of who I am in this story, right? I didn't do anything. I have a past. I've got problems. There's things I'd like to change, but that doesn't matter as far as it pertains to my justification. It matters as it pertains to how I'm going to live out the story with God. And the same was true with Jacob. I mean, he, was, he swindled his brother out of his birthright and was then in conflict with him to the point that Esau wanted to kill him. Like they couldn't even be around each other kind of stuff, right? And he's the one that God chose? Who feels like that sometimes, right? Praise God that it's not based on us but it's based on his grace. His sovereignty rings true, <clears throat> even with these twins, in spite of their brothers being descendants of this battle between themselves, God still, through his power, chose to mold his clay into what he wanted it to look like. And we're gonna talk about that, probably not next week, but probably the week after, of just the creator being the one that gets to mold the clay. You guys ever worked with clay? I'm not really good at it. I've tried it once or twice, but it like starts and it's this big blob. And if you were to look at the clay and say, make for yourself whatever you want, what's going to happen? It's just going to sit there, right? But if an architect, a creator, someone that's sovereign, that has power and control can put their hands onto it, there can be molding of it. There can be shaping of it into exactly what that creator wants it to be. 
And that's the same case with us. And that was the case here. So when you look and you tear apart this hated, it would be more of a rejected. And so sometimes you will also see this interpretation, hate being loved less than. So in our words, he was loved less than, and he was rejected, not in a way that was, I, I think, um, we would reject people now. But God was just saying, I'm rejecting that plan, and I am choosing this plan. Um, my daughter said I needed to bring up today that she's from China. And it was kind of this interesting thing, because I was walking through just, how do I explain this to people? How do I explain this concept to people? And it was, we went out to a date night, and we're walking the parking lot. She says, hey, you should tell people I'm from China. And I was like, that's funny, because I was thinking about this illustration. I didn't tell her this, but I told the elders on Wednesday. And this is kind of the way that I see it. We adopted our daughter from China. We chose her. We walked into an orphanage. We were brought her. And in that, we chose her to be part of our family. And in none of that did we reject any of the others. Like, it wasn't like, okay, you're not important, but I, I think you could say it that way. Like, you chose this person and you rejected those, but it was our choice as parents to choose her. And that's what we did. And through that choice, she is now part of our family. She is part of the inheritance, whether good or bad, of being Team Shive now, right? And I think that's part of this, is God looked down and he said, I am choosing this path for the betterment of my overall plans. So God's sovereignty looks like this. Seeing things through God's perspective and not your own. This is hard because the world would like for you to not see things through God's perspective. I say it this way. And we've done the Truth Project around here. I think that's one of the great illustrations that I love to bring out. Most people in this world will take things like science and math and all of these different studies and try to define God. What God is saying is what I'd like for you to do is take me, my sovereignty, my word, my promises, and I want you to define science. I want you to define math. I want you to define what's going on. I want you to define social agendas. I want you to define marriage. I want you to define sexuality. I want you to define your actions in life, not based upon how you're trying to use those things to define me, but how I defined them. And that's how you see God's perspective. And then you're going to move into aligning yourself with his plan. You're going to move yourself into his will. And this is where it gets a whole lot easier. Um, you guys have been bowling. There was a season where, you know, you're younger, they put the bumpers up. I feel like this is kind of what that looks like. Like you're just acknowledging, okay, God, put the bumpers up. I'm going to stop trying to make sense out of my perspective of the way I think it ought to be. I'm going to solely go out of your perspective. Bumpers up, and I'm aligning myself with your plan, and I'm going to move within your, your, your will. Basically, just I'm going to do and I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to let the way that your word speaks define who I am as an individual, my character, my morality, my ideology, and I'm going to move through this world as that being the core. And in that, we get to see things like this in a whole new light. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is truth. And, but there are others out there that say, well, there's, there's multiple ways to heaven. There's multiple means. No, this is Jesus' word written in the word of God, speaking to us, saying, 
this is it. This is what's important. I want you to understand this. I want you to live by this. I want this to be a formation of how you see the world around you so that when you're confronted with other means of joy and happiness in, in eternity, you're able just to go, okay, praise God. Holy Spirit, work. I know truth. I'm not going to be defensive about this, but I'm going to move in such a way where I see this opportunity before me in every person that I interact with. And the implications become this. You wake up in the morning, and you know God is in control, even when you got rough mornings. Like we've just been dealing with difficult news in different places, and people that are suffering and sick, and even in that, God is in control. We lost a sweet young boy this week. Man, Donovan, <laughs> hanging out with you too much. Um, yeah, Frost's. Lost Ethan this week, and Ethan has been part of this family. They moved to Salida recently, but Ethan has gone through a, a, a battle in his life, nonverbal, wheelchair-bound, broken bones, and people pick him up and move him. He's been a joy and a delight, and it's even in those moments that we have to know God is sovereign. Like right now, he is in heaven celebrating. He's walking. He's talking, and I believe that. I, I believe that he's been around this, this journey and he has been a powerful force. I know for both Jacob and Danielle, he's been a, a testimony in their life. And do I like that? Do I like how he had to live? No, but I have to trust that God is sovereign and God has a plan for the Ethans of this world. And I'm going to trust him. The implications are, are you going to believe his plan, his process, and his course of salvation, or are you going to continue to push against it? I encourage you this morning to put the guardrails up. Put the bumpers in. Hear from this verse. Challenge yourself to be someone that follows this truth in an understanding that we have been given a promise today. And it's our opportunity to grab a hold of it for ourselves, for our families, for this community, and for the world. Like, I'm not in this to just kind of go through the motions, and I hope we aren't either. I hope this is the opportunity that we continue to have to press forward and proclaim the gospel to people that don't know this. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you've given us these words, this truth. I think that you've given it to us through people like Jacob, the deceiver. But you saw in him the opportunity. You used him in the way that you wanted. You molded him to be an instrument and a part. Father God, I pray for everyone in this room that you will be exactly involved in that same way with our lives. Maybe we've got to be taken out and wrestled to the ground, but we need to be molded by you. Today, I pray our prayer would be that we would recognize your sovereignty. We would allow you to move in our lives in such a way where we can be obedient to the design and the plan that you have for every person here today so that we can proclaim your promise to the people around us. Pray these things in your name. Amen.
is overcome by fear And hope seems like a ship that's lost at sea My enemies on every side And I'm tempted to run and hide Your gentle whisper reaches out to me You give me peace that holds me when I'm broken. Sweet peace that passes understanding when the whole wide world is crashing down. I fall to of who he is because he's um, near to us at all times he's the only one who can bring us peace so let's come before him and bring those things to him say God you are in control
follow me Surely love and mercy Your peace and kindness Will follow me Will follow Let's believe that Surely love and mercy Your peace and kindness Will follow me Will follow me Surely love and mercy And peace and kindness Will follow me Yeah. 
Time and time again I've seen it Ooh. Sing this, sing I believe Speak to me. Speak to me. 
God, I thank you that we can trust you. God, I thank you that you are trustworthy, not just sometimes, but all the time. God, we're grateful to be a part of your family. God, we know that it's nothing that we've done to earn this, to deserve this, but God, you chose us. God, help us to live in that gratitude that we have been saved we have been pulled out of a pit pulled out of darkness into your light Jesus God help us to trust that you will never leave us never forsake us we believe would you help us with our unbelief God you're so much bigger than we can ever imagine God would you go before us today as we go about our weeks continue in worship as we Go to school, go to work, go to our homes, go to the store. God, help us to worship you, to live this life of adopted sons and daughters that have been chosen by the one true God. Help us to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.